Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Green Magic, Green Medicine with your host, Susan Weed. I'm Daniel Michael, the founder and co-creator of the Main Street Universe Network, and we'll be back after this. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. so much we had a wonderful green goddess week oh my goodness the rain rained but it didn't rain on us most of the time it waited until we were snug in our beds and then it rained like crazy and then it was beautiful in the morning and of course that made mushrooms grow 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 everywhere everywhere were lots and lots and lots of mushrooms except for the ones that I wanted us to be able to eat ooh Yes, there were tons of quite amazing amanitas. Do you know anything about mushrooms? 
Uh, very little. I know some of the basic ones. I know the reishi, the chaga. I've heard of mesima, uh, uh, turkey tail, right? Is that another one? Uh, and some turkey of the tail, others. yes. Excellent, yes. So, Amanita mushrooms contain among them the most deadly mushroom in the world. Amanita verna, the destroying angel. Mm. And it grows in my woods. And so there was Amanita verna to show the ladies. Oh, here's the destroying angel. As a matter of fact, on the way to our big ritual on Sunday, along the path was a large, rather old Amanita verna, a small baby Amanita verna, and a beautifully exquisite mid-sized Amanita verna, and I laughed. I'm like, hi, goddess, destroying angel indeed. There's also Amanita muscaria, the fly agaric. And if you think about where a witch lives in like a cartoon or a children's book, usually the witch is living in a small house in the forest with mushrooms growing by the house. Could you describe those mushrooms? Um, a small house in the forest with mushrooms, and they're usually, um, don't they usually have like the polka dots and aren't they kind of big? <laughs> That's right. You got it. They're big red mushrooms with polka dots on them. Yeah. That's Amanita muscaria. In my woods, it occurs in its yellow variety. So there's a yellow cap with the remnants of its eggs. All Amanitas come in eggs. When they're babies, they're like surrounded by this... Um, material and it's called an egg and, and as the mushroom like think of the the mushroom cap where it's all closed down along the stem right it's closed down mm-hmm. around the stem and pushed down and it's in the ground like an egg and then it starts to push up and the stem can get four five inches it can really pull up and as it pulls up, the cap spreads open like an umbrella, and so that egg substance that was holding it together now is left as dots on the top of it. And you can see the remnant of it around the base of the mushroom, and where the gills come open on the underside of the mushroom top, they were covered at first by a little skirt which now falls gracefully down along the stalk of the mushroom. So you have this beautiful kind of curved parasol top with gills, a long stalk coming to an almost bulbous end with this little cup around it and a little fairy skirt up toward the cap. So Fly agaric <laughs> is known as the mushroom that the Siberian shamans use. And the poisons, the alkaloids in Amanita muscaria 
are such that they generally won't kill you, but they can make you pretty sick. So the shaman becomes inured to those poisons. And the ones that make you high and that give you visions are very rapidly excreted from the body. This is true also of LSD. LSD is excreted from the body within 15 minutes of ingestion. And in fact, if anybody ever says to you, oh, you know, I can see it in your tissues, they can't. It's long, long gone. And so the, the same thing, the Siberian shaman eats the amnita muscaria, and then the first urination of the shaman is collected, and the people drink the urine and thereby get the high from the mushroom without the problem. Hmm. I found some amanita muscaria <clears throat> on a walk with some students one day. And one of them said, I was reading about this mushroom, and I read that in addition to <clears throat> eating it or drinking someone's pee, who is inured to eating it, that you could also dry it and smoke it. And we kind of sat there and we talked about it, and we decided we were going to pick these amanitas. There was one there for each one of us. These Amanita muscaria is not the destroying angel, not the one that kills you, but the one that just makes you a little crazy, shall we say, or gives you visions. Um, and that we were each going to take one of them home, and we were going to experiment with it that week. And that particular woman did dry hers and smoke it, and she did say that it was a pretty powerful hallucinogen as smoked. And I've met other people who dry it, grind it to a powder, and smoke it, sometimes with a little tobacco, sometimes with other herbs that can be burned. And one of the women waited until like the last day before we were going to get together the next week and then decided to just eat hers and eat it raw. And she had a really bad time. She felt really awful, and we thought that it was partly because she'd eaten raw and partly because it was really old by then. And those of us who experimented by eating it and cooking it within the next day or two had sensory experiences. One woman felt that she could hear everything within a mile radius, including through walls. Fortunately, she didn't live in the city. She lived in the country, right? We were all in the country. So it wasn't too bad because she didn't have that many neighbors. It was quite astonishing to be able to hear their television programs and their private conversations or so, they thought. Um, others had experiences in which the visual field became um, very greatly intensified in terms of color and texture, depth of field. And um, one woman had her um, ability to taste uh, magnified almost to the point where she, she felt that it was just about too much. And I would say that each person felt that the Amanita muscaria pushed them to that edge of, is this too much? Oh, ah, ah, ah. So a very interesting Amanita. Amanita caesarina growing in my woods. The only known edible Amanita. It doesn't kill you. It doesn't make you crazy. And yes, it's named after Caesar. It was said to be his favorite mushroom. I always consider eating Amanita caesarina kind of like eating, what's that, that fish that you can get a sushi that can kill you if it's prepared wrong? I think it's the blowfish. It's the one that puffs up, the puffer fish? Right? I think so. I think that's what it is, too. So I always considered eating any kind of amanita exactly like that. Like, why would you, what 
what could you be thinking that you would eat something that could possibly kill you? Let's not do that. There are lots and lots of fun things to eat that aren't going to kill you at all. Or if they do, it's going to take years and years and years. So, you know, have another bowl of ice cream rather than another deadly mushroom. Any rate, Amanita Caesarina. And the related Amanitopsis. The Amanitopsis genus is very much like the Amanitas, but it doesn't come from that egg. But it has that same beautiful, graceful dancer form. And especially the one that grows in my woods, which is Amanitopsis vaginata. And we only say that Linnaeus was a bad boy, and some of the names that he gave the plants were very bad indeed. Today, when we went out with the goats, we found lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of bolites. And the mushrooms can be roughly divided into mushrooms that have gills, like the amanitas, and the mushrooms that have pores, like the bolites. Now, this leaves out things like coral fungus and uh, boar's tooth fungus and other kind of odd-shaped funguses, Uh, chanterelles, which have neither gills nor pores, and are a wonderful edible genus of mushrooms. But just in a broad sweep here, we're going to look at gill fungus and pore fungus. And the gill fungus contain Amanita verna and other deadly poisonous mushrooms. Whereas the pore fungi do not contain any deadly poisonous species. That is not to say you can't get a hold of a leaf that wouldn't make you bleh and wish you hadn't eaten it. As a matter of fact, there are some in my woods um, which supposedly can make you throw up, and some that look just like them, which are supposedly edible, and I've ne- never tried either one again, because why would I want to throw up? Anyway, we did harvest some Belitis edulis, and we'll be experimenting with that, and if I'm still alive, I won't let you know next week. No, Belitis edulis is sep. It is one of the great edible mushrooms of the world. And I was complaining when I was in Italy where they eat a lot of it that I could never find it without fly larvae in it. And they said, well, of course not. Why would you expect to find it without fly larvae in it? And I said, you just eat the larvae. And they said, no, you soak it in salted water. The larvae crawl out. They die in the bottom of the bowl. And then you cook the mushrooms. And I, Thank you very much. <laughs> because, I don't know, you know, I, I, I'm pretty game for eating things, but eating fly larvae, Perhaps my imagination is running wild with me, but I find it hard to rein in around this one. I don't want to do it. Thank you very much. There's a, a high-end cheese, I think, in France that has larvae in it as part of the <laughs> process or something. I, I've seen it. I've, I've not uh, tried it. <laughs> well, we all have a different yuck point. <laughs> um, what is yuck for others is uh, delicious, and I truly understand. I also do not like truffles. Mm, okay. But I love cilantro, so perhaps that redeems me. Right. I was teaching in the Rocky Mountains, and uh, we I had the afternoon off, um, and I went on a walk, and I was sitting quietly, and I saw a squirrel sitting in a tree near me, and it had something in its paws, 
which it was nibbling, and it was turning it this way and that, and nibbling and nibbling and turning it over, and nibbling and nibbling until at last it was gone. And then it looked around, and it ran down the tree, and it dug, 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 dug at this little hole, and it grabbed another morsel of something and ran up the tree. And nibble, 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 turn, 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 nibble, 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 turn, 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 until it was all gone. And then it ran down the tree, dig, 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 and it got a little morsel, and it ran up the tree, and it did this like, I don't know, five or six times. Um, and so finally my curiosity got the better of me, and I moved, and it went, human, eek, and ran off, of course. And I went over to where it had been digging the earth, and I stuck my nose in the earth, and such a stench greeted me that I knew that indeed the squirrel was a truffle squirrel, and it had found a truffle. Hmm. Speaking of mushrooms, where do you fall on the on the truffle continuum, a liker of truffle or a disliker of truffle? I, I'm actually okay with truffle. Um, there's truffle-flavored olive oil in it that I will kind of like. Um, there you I go. Like, I, I like mushrooms. Um, and yes, I don't think truffle smells or tastes like mushroom. Um, yeah, I'm I'm okay. I, I like mushrooms. I, I I don't know how high on the scale. Like I have a very high hot sauce scale, uh, but I <laughs> but I, I don't know on the scale where I could say. But they don't offend me that much. Yeah, it, it, truffle is kind of like you know. There's certain fruits that have like what we might call bathroom odors. Yeah. And truffle is definitely off in that direction, according to my taste buds and smell buds. When it's so extreme, sticking my nose when, in that truffle hole, I'm like, oh my goodness! Now I can understand why there are truffle pigs and truffle hounds. I, I think if it's mellowed out in a flavor of something, then I'm all right. Just like I and don't it, like the super high-end cheeses I mentioned that almost smell like a Foot Locker. I, I don't like those either. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Heading <laughs> towards the edge of ferment that's just a little beyond ripe, shall we say? But yeah, I understand like, there are. People who like that very, very much. Well, we must not talk the entire show away on mushrooms and our personal likes and dislikes. We have our responsibilities here to talk about Eleutherococcus, Eleutherococcus, formerly known as Siberian ginseng. And Stephen Booner, in his book Herbal Antibiotics, tells us that there are three main preparations the Russian high concentration formula, which is a two to one, one to one, or one to two formula, a lower strength one to five tincture, or the powdered herb. <clears throat> he says that he notes that you can also get standardized capsules, but he prefers to use merely the powdered herbs. So let's see. The Russian high strength formulation. Most Russian studies were conducted using a one-to-one tincture in 30% alcohol. 80-proof vodka would be 40% alcohol. 100-proof vodka is 50% alcohol. So you could use the lower proof, um, especially if you're using fresh plant material. If you used an 80 proof, that would bring it down to probably around 30 to 33% alcohol because of the water in the plant. Or you could even use, my preference, the 100%, um, the 100 proof, which is 
uh, trusting that the plant material has sufficient water to carry it to that amount. The dose of that Russian one-to-one tincture um, was about a sixteenth to a two-thirds of an ounce on a daily basis, <clears throat> although in some studies participants were taking an ounce and a half of tincture per day. At the average cost of 7 to $12 per ounce of tincture, and that has gone up uh, these days, Stephen, I would say it's probably more like 10 to $15. You've recently been selling tinctures. What was the price range there? Oh, I would say that tinctures, the average tinctures are something like, you know, 13 12 14 bucks. It may be even as low as eight ninety nine, depending on what the, the thing is. Yeah, yeah. Right. So again, up from his seven to twelve dollars. Yeah. Yeah, something. That would mean that if you wanted to take an ounce of a tincture a day, you better, <coughs> excuse me, know how to make your own. Yeah. Because going out there and, bu- and buying it <coughs> is going to be way too expensive. <coughs> the Russians <coughs> used. A dose up to three times a day for 60 days, <clears throat> and then had a rest period of two to three weeks in between. The researchers said with these large doses, they saw responses within a few days, sometimes even hours of administration. And just as a review, we are looking at something that's an adrenal tonic, antidepressive, anti-fatigue, helps restore endurance, immune tonic, and adaptogen and a mental clarity stimulant. In these concentrations, at these kinds of doses, I would say Eleuthero is an immune stimulant, not an immune tonic. Using it at these kinds of doses in this concentrated form, in my opinion, says Stephen Booner, is specific for debilitating diseases accompanied by severe fatigue, brain fog, depression, muscle muscle weakness, tendency to start getting better with an inevitable relapse, and a chronically depressed immune function. Whoa! <clears throat> Glad I'm not there, May. Mm-hmm. That, that's a difficult place to be. You can, of course, says Stephen Booner, take lower doses of the concentrated extracts, which would indeed make it more tonic in nature. Please read carefully. In chronic, highly debilitated conditions, the Russian formula is the only type of tincture that should be used, at least initially. And I suggest the product sold by Herb Farm, which is the only company I know of that actually exceeds the Russian specifications. Their formula is two parts herb to one part liquid rather than one part herb to one part liquid. Thus saith Stephen Booner. For the first 30 to 60 days, take a teaspoonful three times daily, the last dose occurring no later than 4 p.m. After 60 days, discontinue the herb for two weeks and repeat if necessary. <clears throat> if your symptoms decrease after using the Russian formulation for a while and your immune function seems better, then change either to the encapsulated form or 
a Wondify the alcohol water tincture. Both of these are more tonic in their action. If your symptoms and overall health are better on the stronger extract and worsen if you stop it, or if the presenting symptoms are severe, then the stronger extract is a better choice for continual use. Continue your dosage 30, 60 days on and two to three weeks off and so on. Stephen Booner says, I have generally used and prefer in conditions other than persistent chronic disease, such as Lyme disease or severe chronic disease, a weaker tincture, as do many American herbalists and herbal companies. One to five, which is 60% alcohol, used a dropper full of the tincture one to three times daily for up to a year. In my experience, this dosage and pattern of use is less stimulating to the system, and the long-term effects are much better. The body gradually uses the herb to build itself up over time, the herb acting more as a long-term tonic and rejuvenative than as an active stimulant. With this type of tincture, it's not necessary to stop every one or two months, nor have I seen any side effects that that I have seen occur with the stronger Russian formula. The Chinese, much less given to tincturing anyhow, use it as a powder. The weaker American tincture, in my clinical experience, takes six months to become really effective after use, and so it should be used at least that long, if not for an entire year. It's really great for long-term, mild, chronic conditions that won't resolve if you see pallid face, poor elasticity in the skin, skin eruptions, weak energy, uh, voice that's very monotonous, and general passivity, think eleutherococcus. Encapsulated herb. Now, just to set the stage here, you remember that in general, I say don't use herbs in capsules, don't use herbs in capsules, don't use herbs in capsules. Three primary reasons. One, you don't know what's in there. How can we get around that? Buy the herb yourself already powdered and the capsules and put it in the capsule yourself. Or um, powder the herb yourself if you grow it and put it in capsules. Or don't put it in capsules, grow the herb, powder it, and put it in your food. Times when I use powdered herb, I don't take it in capsules. I actually use it in my food. When we put an herb in a capsule, reason two and reason three, we are making that herb more drug-like, and there are going to be more side effects. It is also far more expensive to take encapsulated herbs than it is to take them in tincture form. In encapsulated form, I suggest, says Stephen Herod Booner, 1,200 milligrams minimum daily. In acute conditions, three times that amount. There are manufacturers that standardize the herb to 0.8% eleutherocytes B and E, but that is becoming less common as we understand the plant better. I'm not sure that it's necessary. Powdered herb. I like this form of the root, and in conditions such as severe long-term chronic fatigue, I blend it with other powdered herbs that I buy by the pound from Pacific Botanicals. I like to combine two parts each, eleuthero, astragalus, milk thistle seed, and one part each, licorice, turmeric, 
and ashwagandha. I take a quarter cup of this blend every night just before bed, mixing it into 8 to 12 ounces of juice or water in a blender. I have seen it turn a lot of chronic conditions around. It can be used by itself, a tablespoon in a bit of water or juice. Or you can do like I do and keep powdered astragalus and powdered eleuthero in the kitchen and add them to food as you cook your food. Side effects and contraindications. Insomnia and hyperactivity, especially with the stronger Russian formulation when taken in large doses. And that is why it is recommended that you do not take a dose after 4 p.m. Eleutherococcus is, in general, completely non-toxic, and the Russians have reported the use of exceptionally large doses for up to 20 years with no adverse reactions. It is indicated for people with pale, unhealthy skin who are depressed and just bleh. Almost all people have no side effects, but a small number of people get a transient diarrhea. It may temporarily increase blood pressure in some people, although it always comes back to normal within a few weeks. If you start out with very high blood pressure, like 180 over 90, then uh, it's better if you use something like licorice with the eleuthero, which, um, I'm sorry, it's better if you don't use things like licorice, because licorice can also raise the blood pressure. Overuse can actually cause insomnia. And Stephen Booner says, do not take with hexobarbital, monomycin, or canamycin. There's a lot of information here about Siberian ginseng, a persistent, aggressive shrub from 3 to 15 feet in habit. And um, he says at other places that it is undergoing heavy planting in the United States and has begun to escape captivity. Soon it will be like a number of important medicinals, among them Japanese not weed and about half of the antibacterials discussed in this book, a naturalized aggressive weed with qualities unknown to those it irritates. It is currently already invasive in Ohio and Tennessee. So I hope that Eleuthero is going to make its way to New York, or perhaps I shall have to plant it, generally cultivated from seeds. But it will, so they say, sprout easily from stem and root cuttings. And uh, you can, he lists some places where you can get it. And you harvest the roots and the stem bark in the fall. You can cut larger roots into smaller pieces and peel the stem bark off in strips, but leave it into to a drying tray. And uh, he strongly suggests harvesting the fruit of Eleuthero and drying it for later use in syrups. However, he says if you purchase the commercial root, it is already going to be prepared for you, ready to use. And, of course, that's the easy way to get it. It's already powdered because it's no fun to powder herbs on your own at home. Well, we still have pages and pages here, including lots of pages on uh scientific research and plant chemistry and bing our time is up yes I want to say so I want to interrupt we will come back to Eleuthero caucus the uh, alternate uh, ginseng which is not a ginseng at all and one of Stephen Herod Booner's uh, top picks 
in his book, Herbal Antibiotics, First Line of Defense, Strengthening the Immune System. As always, a delight being with you. Thank you for keeping the Main Street so lovely for all of us. All right. Thank you for joining us again, Susan. And briefly, wanted to let you know I'm actually back part-time at the health food store, so I'm not totally out of that world yet. <laughs> all right. Like- well, you know, it's, it's not a bad place to be. <laughs> all right. Let's shift to everybody. You've been listening to Susan Wee. We have links to her books here on the show page, the marquee page, as I like to call it. And you've been listening to Green Magic, Green Medicine with Susan Weed. And I guess next week we'll just say continue to talk about herbal antibiotics, right? Are we keeping with ginseng? Mm. Well, it's Siberian ginseng, but its true name is Eleutherococcus. Yes. Or short, Eleuthero. E-L-E-U-T-H-E-R-O, Eleuthero. Yes. And yes, we will come back to talk more about Eleuthero next Tuesday night. All right, folks, so join in and we'll continue our discussion of Eleuthero. 10 p.m. Eastern Time every Tuesday. Green Magic, Green Medicine, Susan Weed. Thank you all. Have a great week. Green blessings. Remember, herbal medicine.